0: Hello, this is uh, C.R. Wiley, and uh, I'm here with some friends in New Jersey today. Uh, we're talking about themes uh, related to masculinity and uh, related issues. And uh, instead of me introducing the guys I'm sitting with here uh, at, the, at a restaurant table, I'll let them do that for themselves. So I'm gonna, just going to hand it off to the man sitting to my left, and we'll go around the table, and everyone will have a chance to introduce themselves, and then we'll talk about the theme of the night. I'm David Talcott I'm an assistant professor of philosophy
1: at the King's College in New York City and an elder at a little PCA church in North New Jersey I'm Sam Perez or Perez
2: I'm a pastor of uh, Grace Reformed Church in Jersey City and uh, lifelong New Yorker Um, I'm in exile a little bit but
3: uh, I live in North Jersey now (laughs) I'm Nate Towers. Uh, I live in uh, Baskin Ridge, New Jersey, have a um, family of uh, three kids, wife, and uh, work in Morristown, New Jersey at a place called Market Street Mission, as well as uh, a uh, Christian uh, conference center in Baskin Ridge.
4: I'm Aaron Wren. I'm the publisher of a monthly email newsletter called The Masculinist, Uh, about the intersection of Christianity and masculinity and associated topics.
0: Just in case you're wondering who I am, uh, I am the pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester. I'm the author of a book entitled Man of the House. I've got another book coming out called The Household and the War for the Cosmos. But enough about me. Now let's jump into the topic of the evening. We're going to be talking about things related to men. And uh, one of the things that we've seen that has really caught... Not only the attention of a lot of men, but even popular media, mainstream media, is something called the manosphere, uh, something on the internet where men, a place on the internet where men go to talk about things where, that they seemingly can't talk about in public <laughs> or in any other institution in our society anymore. And there are some figures who have emerged in that world who have uh, come to exercise a lot of influence one of those uh, fellows is a guy named Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, of course, has a huge following on YouTube, and uh, he's uh, got a number of books that have done quite well. Uh, And, of course, all this is quite surprising because um, you wouldn't think that this could possibly happen to a guy who teaches psychology in Toronto. He's He's an academic, but here he is. Anyway, let's think a little bit about Jordan Peterson and just what is going on with this guy? I know this is not the first time anyone has asked this question, but the people at this table bring a particular perspective that might be uh, different than, than people that have had uh, presented in other forums. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Jordan Peterson? Go ahead and just jump in.
3: Well, I've been uh, helped by Peterson. I listened to uh, 12 Rules for Life um, and... Uh, a couple of ways that he was helpful was um, just uh, in his book, he really is encouraging uh, folks to, um, to take risk, to put themselves out there, and to not be afraid of their own shadows. Um, and so I actually really enjoyed it a lot and listened to it in a few days,
0: just uh, crushed it and uh, enjoyed it a lot. So, so, Nate, what I'm hearing is, now, the book is, his is book, yeah. title, what title of it? is it's it? It's called it? 12 Rules for Life. Right. So, and I've heard this before, a lot of young guys are looking for mentoring, it seems to me. Absolutely. And they're not getting it anywhere. And Peterson just tells it like, it, like he sees it. He says, This is the way it is. Life is tough. You need to rise up and meet the challenges that life presents. And let me give you some advice. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, one of the things about Peterson is he shows men an example of how not to be bullied Mm. uh, by big institutions or by women. And a lot of us don't know what that looks like. Uh, It's difficult to sort of see a healthy model for that. And, you know, his his half-hour interview with Kathy Newman is a real study in stable masculine presence, and I think a lot of young men have seen a lot of BS in their lives, and they recognize, in some cases, authenticity and genuine uh, courage that is not just fake. And they've seen a lot of fake in their life. Yeah. And so, you know, Peterson, obviously he's putting on a roadshow now, but at, at, a, at a deep level, he's not fake. Right. He's, a, he's a, a person who's all of his money is where his mouth is. Right. Uh, and I think young men uh, appreciate that. And he provides a model for... Yeah. A way that young men could live that's not, you know, if they're not jocks, uh, if they're not necessarily socially awesome Mm -hmm. at life, um, he's giving them a model for at least some ideas of how they could try to have a a meaningful life, and uh, it's kind of sad that a lot of Christian young men have to turn to him instead of to pastors or mentors in their life Mm -hmm. for that kind of uh,
0: wisdom. That's certainly that's certainly a thing that we should take up before we're done. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Why aren't pastors? And you, Sam, you and I. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we're we're in this we're in the the, uh, the crosshairs here. Why? Yeah. Why?
4: David, I'm I'm wondering, like, what have been the reaction to the students at Kings who've read Jordan Peterson? Has it had an impact there, or no? Because that's a group of young Christian I, men.
1: I can't give you the full answer to that. <laughs> I can give you anecdotal. Uh, we have a professor who teaches a required freshman class who used that book in his class. Um, it's a, he does some psychology stuff in that course, so it worked it worked well on multiple levels and it's a course that's sort of helping young people adjust to college life and you know being grown ups and things like that. And anecdotally, he said the male participation in class, raising hands, speaking in class, and so on was off the charts higher when they were doing that book compared to anything else he's done in years of teaching freshmen. Uh, so I would say, you know, among the student body we see, a lot of young men are reading it or just, I don't know how much how many of them are actually reading the book, but they're watching the YouTube videos yeah. and uh, they're, they're being moved quite a bit by it. What effect that will have, whether that will stick or not, or if he's just sort of the YouTube YouTube champion of the month, you know, we'll, we'll have to... Time will tell
4: on that. Yeah. Okay, his book sold, I think, has sold over 3 million copies.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Pretty good. So it's, that's an immense yeah. bestseller, I mean, beyond anything. If you sell 10,000 copies of a book, you've done incredible work. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think there's a real vacuum. I mean, uh, Sierra, what you're mentioning, uh, it's kind of a cliche at this point, you know, and just, um, and, and I've, I've said it and, and I've heard it said. There's a real vacuum of fathering and mentoring in the church, and so I want to ask the question: What are pastors doing? You know, what are the churches in the main doing? Uh, just today, I was trying to look for the quote from Ambrose um, from the the second series of the Nicene Fathers, um, and you know, his his uh, I forget the name of the title, but. It's basically... Oh, Duties of the Clergy, I think it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's... I mean, he's just talking about how... He's talking to clergy about how to pastor, how to shepherd a church. And and he... I can't remember if it's in that title or another, but he's basically telling fathers, fathers, (laughs) you know, teach your children, teach teach your sons a trade. Otherwise, you're going to fornicate. And it it seems to me it's just very explicit. There's it's direct speech. This is what it is. These are the dangers you're facing. And I think Peterson comes at this question of masculinity, of what it means to be a, a person, a man, a woman, a human with such direct speech and he's getting at very real, creational nuggets of, of truth. Um, it's it's incoherent because uh, I think, as far as I can tell, and we can tell, you know, he's not a believer. Maybe he says so says so as much, you know. But the Bible is the greatest of the myths you have to reckon with. But it seems to me that there's something there that's missing in our churches in Reformed, conservative, Bible believing churches, and so. I wanna say, you know, what what are we taking up? You know, I could I could spend thirty-six hours a day talking to men and my wife, you know, the same amount of time talking to women about anthropology, about how to be a man, how to be a woman who gets married, how to prepare for marriage, why maybe you shouldn't go to college and strap yourself with a hundred thousand dollars in loans. So, you know, there's a real vacuum in our churches. Um, and I know before before the recording, you know, we were talking about maybe androgyny. Maybe that's part of the issue, too. This, this amorphous, you know, um, just vague sense that we're called to be a Christian, but never a Christian man right. or a Christian woman. Right. You know, there's no particularity to the generic. So... Um, yeah, I, I think there's something that Peterson's scratching, um, where where men especially are itching. I think his predominantly his
0: audience is is male. Right, right. right. I think uh, you know this question of uh, the androgynous approach that many pastors take. They're encouraged to do that at multiple levels. You know, you can kind of fear sure. it. You know, any if you read anything from coming from Wheaton, Illinois, from you know sort of Christianity Today, sure. it's it's basically corporate church. So basically what you've done is you've taken sort of the corporate model, which uh, envisions sort of the interchangeability of parts as being the most efficient sort of way you can go about sort of keeping an organization going because everything's replicable and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's been important to the church. The household in corporate America is, is more of a speed bump than a help. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're useful in the sense that, they con- that households consume things. So we'll target, you know, our marketing to those those uh, institutions, that institution, the household. But in terms of sort of dealing with it, accommodating sort of the sort of the, the, the traditional structure of the household, well, you know, that just is, it creates a problem, right? You know? doesn't and contribute to the GDP you know <laughs> right right and so that's been that's been brought into the church you read leadership magazine you might as well be reading something that was <laughs> you know it's just basically you know that it's it's basically a biblical gloss to a lot of uh, organizational theory applied to the church right and that's what you right. get so I, I really do think most of this sort of cool table i I love to use that term to describe the sort of top tier guys you know mega church pastors. The cool table is all about sort of uh, you know sort of making their institutions uh, as efficient and as sort of um, market driven as possible and, and anyway, sure, sure, kind of sure. the what you're your talk now aaron you've you've talked a lot about obviously, these themes in the masculinist. And one of the things that I found to be tremendously helpful that you've done in the masculinist, and, I'm, and I'd love for you to just sort of take this and just run with it, but, but just to start, is the bad advice pastors give to guys, and and just how that just ruins our credibility.
4: Right. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. when I look at a guy like Jordan Pearson, There's a lot of things that uh, strike me, but one of the key ones is just how banal his advice is. (laughs) How uninsightful really it is once you boil away this ocean of sort of pretentious talk that he wraps it up in. He's really able to take incredibly simple and banal concepts and make them sound like... Y- you know yeah. Olympian themes like make, your bed. One, make your bed make your bed make your bed he's got this idea make your bed right. Right. <clears throat> if you didn't know there was a famous uh, college commencement speech at the University of Texas by a Navy SEAL admiral I think his name was William oh, yeah. McRaven yeah. Mm-hmm. and he talked about like 10 I think it was 10 lessons from Navy SEALs and one of them was make your bed right. Right. and he actually wrote turned it into a book make your bed and like hundreds of thousands of people watched the YouTube video and all that and actually there's some good thing I, I actually literally said well, you know one of the things I'm going to start doing in my life is I'm going to start <laughs> literally making my better." <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's not as even though he probably didn't intend it to be deliberately there's something right, about right. using a physical cues which sure, we'll talk sure, about later but sure, yeah. <clears throat> so what does what does George tell people It says clean your room yeah. so in other words one of the things he's saying is start with what you know, we're all worried about huge societal issues. You need to worry about what you can control or what's within your span of control. This is very similar to Stephen Covey's idea of um, the difference between your circle of influence and your circle of concern. Your circle of influence is what you can control. Your circle of concerns and the things you're worried about. You want your circle of concern to be bigger than your circle of influence because that's how you grow. But if it's too much bigger then you're just, you just, know, look, focus on what you can do something about. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's one of those 12 rules. Right. Like that's the sort of advice your dad would have given you when I was kid. Yeah.
0: yeah right. Yeah. Which it's seems like, to imply that a lot of kids don't have dads to give that right, advice. Right. So uh,
4: many of his things. So like like one of the things he talks about is like his his lobster bucket example. Lobsters outcropping. Right. Right. Like, I got kids of it. But like lobsters and hierarchy and like mm-hmm. essentially a hierarchy is hardwired into the species. Yeah. Which is and not a popular word uh, thing to say, but it's obviously true. Everywhere we look, there's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And. It's just a natural part of our life. And as you talk about bad advice, I say all that to come to this. If you look at what Jordan Peterson says to men about what women are attracted to, and what church leaders say, it's quite different. And what we find is that Jordan Peterson is far more accurate. Right. Church leaders tend to say women are attracted to the servant leader. They want a man who's on fire for God, that he's, that he's a kind man, that he's conscientious, he's committed, he'll be great with the kids, he's, he's a servant leader, he's all those things. What, what does Jordan Peterson say? Women are attracted to men who win status competitions with other men. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not that we shouldn't be godly or we shouldn't be kind, those are good things, but those things don't generate attraction. Right. Those are things that might indicate that you are a good candidate to marry or you're a quality man. Just like I think for if you're a guy, the things that make a woman attractive to you are not necessarily the things that make her a good good wife material. Mm-hmm. And so there are different buckets. There's people we, we're just attracted to, and then there are people that we might be interested in being in a, a long-term relationship with. I just think that Jordan Peterson, although his advice is banal, it's like advice that, you know, again, your father or grandfather used to give, but nobody's giving today, and the right. church, the church's versions of this that they're given is just often not true, bluntly. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see tweets from like prominent Christians right. that say things like, kindness is the greatest aphrodisiac in marriage.
0: <laughs>
4: I don't think that's how it works.
0: Right, right. In yeah. fact, we've actually had mm-hmm. some social science that demonstrates that the closer, you know, I'll say something really kind of sort of off the charts for a pastor to say but the closer your marriage uh, is to sort of you know the traditional sex role sort of approach to, to marriage the higher the sexual frequency is in marriage mm-hmm. we've got the social science at least the stuff that I've read you probably are aware of it, things maybe I'm not
4: so there's a great article in the New York Times that was very famous about you know men who do you know equal shares of the house housework get less sex. Yeah, there you go. Where there's a more traditional division.
0: Right. division of the by, by the way, my wife makes the bed. Touche, touche. having a little fun. But, but 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 now now why is it that a guy like Sam or me? It doesn't give the good advice. Now, I gave one example of being, you know, uh, uh, the one reason being, you know, we're reading Leadership Magazine. But perhaps another reason is that we feel a little awkward talking about these things because we do believe that the fathers ought to be talking to the, to the boys about this mm-hmm. stuff. And I know in my, in my situation, there are times when I think, you know, i really like to tell you something that uh, will help you, but it's going to make your father look bad. -hmm. You know, there's there's a Mm -hmm. kind of dynamic that goes on that. So you know, it takes a lot of wisdom, but that can also be a a reason behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I think that that's not not the typical reason. I'm not saying that's on the same level as what you talked about, uh, Aaron. Mm -hmm. I think that what you just described is more the case. Um, We just basically have these sort of uh, boilerplate descriptions of servant leadership and we've, and we've just decided that this is sexy and even though it's not
4: <laughs> well, I think it divides when we look at the average pastor the average pastor is essentially just repeating what they've been taught what they've been told what's in the, the cultural milieu of right. whatever their their kind of traditional tribe is yeah. And I would I would think that in most cases that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We 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 don't have a faith that's new. Mm-hmm. We're not looking for a lot of theological innovation. But and, and ultimately, when those things come out, most most pastors are probably my guess is think that they're really giving the actual truth. Yeah. I think it's just what they believe because it's this milieu of belief mm-hmm. and. Therefore, they're not really motivated by any underlying. That's my belief. I think most people who are saying it, the average kind of working pastor, right. not the elite. The elite certainly have a much more sophisticated understanding. They've seen the critiques, but the rank and file pastor is um, just saying what you know, kind of they learned in, in divinity school, yeah. and that's why I always like to, uh, yeah, or what I like to say is, you know, it's easy to get down on pastors and like, but, but. I think just like fathers, you know, we want to be we want to be building up. We want to be building up our own house, mm-hmm. and so just as like build, building up husbands and fathers, you know, or building up our own household is good. Building up the leaders in our church is also good. So I don't want to be too too necessarily negative towards people mm-hmm. who are just sure. sort of doing what. They just by default were doing what was kind of what they were taught in seminary, the whole environment they were marinated in their entire career.
0: So I've got two sons. They're both grown. Uh, One is married, he's 25, uh, 26 now. And then my second son is 21, and they'll probably be married by the end of the year. Now I know my sons are are exceptions to the rule from what I've been told since the way the numbers are trending. You have children, Sam, right? I have five and one in the oven. Awesome. So they're younger. I'm chasing David.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're almost there. (laughs) And and yours are younger. My oldest is 15.
0: So that's kind of getting real. Male or female? Daughter or son? Boy. Yeah. Oldest is a boy. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here, uh, and your oldest. My oldest is going to turn seven this May. Okay, okay. So, so still a little bit on the on the you know early part of the oh country, yeah, right? Right. oh yeah. Now, so Nate, do you have any kids? Yeah, I have uh, three kids: a ten-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. How old is the ten-year-old? How old is he? Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, he's ten. He's top. Yeah. I, what I meant to ask is, is he male or female? Boy. <laughs> yeah, boy. So it's male. Okay, it's boy. Okay. Yeah. boy. Okay, and so and you're you're getting started, Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. So I'm
4: I'm someone that um, you know essentially became a Christian although I was raised in a Christian house. I became a Christian later in life and, and right. lived a life that I would just say right now is dumb. <laughs> and so I I, I am actually a 49 years old but I have a 21-month-old son, which um, I consider myself very... You're Abraham. I, I am, uh, <laughs> yes. I, this is an example of the grace of God that someone yeah. such as myself should not have been allowed to have kids or should not have been able to have kids well, in light of the, I, of the way that I live my life. Yeah. But I decided to stop doubling down on dumb <laughs> and changed the way that I was living. And uh, people listening to the show. <laughs> I mean, that, that's if I, if I only have. If I, <laughs> only have if I don't. I always say I don't give advice. But if there's one piece of advice I would give, it's don't double down on
0: dumb. <laughs> that's Just good advice. I'll need to. I'll quote you. Literate. <laughs> that. Aaron Run says, "Don't oh. double down on dumb." But uh, so anyway, you know, since I've got the key, the, the boys who are growing, one of the things I really worked with them over the years on. I, I've always had this. Sort of sense that reality uh, really should rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, um, uh, one of the things I, I taught my boys early on uh, was that uh, girls are attracted to confidence, mm-hmm. not the niceness. And one of the things that I think we... That y- a lot of young men, sort of uh, particularly men, young guys who have grown up in the church uh, and have been brought to church by their moms... And maybe their fathers are either out of just out to lunch, or just not uh, engaged in their lives. Uh, is that the sort of the tacit message you get from your mother and your sisters and your Sunday school teacher, who's a, probably a woman and everybody else? Is be nice to girls. Mm-hmm. Be nice to girls. So that is the that is the secret to success with girls. Is nice. Right. It's not the, secret <laughs> the <girl. laughs> that's, that's the that's the invitation to the friend zone. That means that yeah. that okay, you're a certain kind of guy that you know, I like to have in my life to help me move a couch. Yeah, right. You know, when when it gives time to move. You know, particularly right. if you have a truck. <laughs> but you're not the sort of guy I'm interested in romantically. So what kind of guy, it, and this is so commonsensical, what sort of guy would a woman be attracted to? It's a sort of person, sort of guy that everyone is attracted to, romantically. Someone who's got a plan. Yeah. Someone who's doing something and pursuing a goal mm-hmm. and is able to make decisions right. and is competent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, for example, my, my second son, he's a welder and a blacksmith. it kind of tells you a little bit about him. He, he was able, within a year, he was, when he started weightlifting, within a year he had a combined power lift over a thousand pounds. So he's a strong boy. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, he took an interest in the girl that, both my boys took, the, took interest in the girls that everybody wanted. And they want them both, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you think about someone who's something that's moving, it draws your eye, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right? right? So what I tried to tell my boys was, you know, if you've got a plan, it doesn't mean you're a, a jerk. It doesn't mean you're pushy. It doesn't mean you're abusive. It doesn't mean that you always have to dominate the conversation or she has to do everything you say. That's 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 not part of the picture or part of the package maybe the reason why all those things are associated with the confident guys those are the only guys today yeah that's right who have a plan that's right right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know maybe some nice guys they got a plan and they were actually doing stuff (laughs) we wouldn't associate toxic masculinity with being decisive and being masculine that's right Anyway, so there's my little speech, my little stump speech. Yeah, Sierra, so it
2: seems to me that maybe we're part of the issue as we're trying to figure out the origin of our of our melee or our problems is maybe we've misread scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it seems to me that um, a wife is given to Adam to be a help me because he's going somewhere. Now, in Genesis 1, right, the the mandate, the creation of, or the... Cultural mandate is given to both, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Guy can't do that on his own. Uh, but when you look at Genesis 2, it seems to me that the guy is going somewhere. The guy is naming the animals. He has a mission. Uh, he's probably going to um, take a, a very public, uh, evident role in dominion, subduing, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, he needs to help me for that. You know, he needs someone on, on, in the home front. You know, to help um, raise the children. You know, to, to do the things of Proverbs thirty one, of considering
0: buying, planting a vineyard, um, making. And if, cloth- if we think about and we think about that particular episode. You know, Proverbs. 30, I'm sorry to interrupt you. but yeah, I just fine. want to jump in. But Proverbs thirty one usually is sort of like uh, you know, it's used to say, oh, look how competent this woman," and it's true, she's very competent. But what's it? What's her uh, competence freeing up? Mm -hmm. It's freeing up his time to sit in the city gates to be the judge of the community. That's right. So he doesn't have to worry about all this other stuff because he's got a very competent wife who can handle everything. That's right. That frees him up to be able to sit in the city gates and judge the city. That's right. We're all here because
2: our wives are home, (laughs) you know, doing their work competently, right? Right. Um, And, and right, even... this will probably be a Mother's Day sermon pretty soon, I guess, for me. Um, but, you know, he does him no harm. Proverbs 31, right. verse 10, 11, 12, right? right. Uh, and do, does good all the days of her life to yes. her husband. So, it seems to me that she's she's also on mission, but it's Because she shares his mission and he's he's the the tip of the spear. He's there in the forefront, in the public, in the city gates. Mm -hmm. So but coming back big picture, zooming out, it seems to me maybe we're misreading scripture, right? Anything that's good in Jordan Peterson or in the manner sphere, is it not the case that it's also first found in God's creative order, mm-hmm. and then inscripturated in the Bible, mm-hmm. in Proverbs, in Genesis, mm-hmm. in in the warp and the woof
0: of the anthropology we get in Scripture. I love the way you put that too. Putting creation and then inscripturating, yeah. sort of drawing out God-inspired. So it's not right. as though often I think when, when particularly in the world that you and I minister in, there's this idea that the, that creation is sort of like Plato. Yeah. And God's word is this alien completely as though Christ had nothing to do with creation. Right, exactly. Anymore. But anyway, that's a whole theological discussion <laughs> the time. But uh, anyway, so this is this is some rich stuff. Uh Well, on that point, C.R., just, you know, I
2: think one of my fathers in the faith who's a part of the the living cloud of witnesses, Herman Bovink, you know, his his oft-repeated phrase, you know, grace restores nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus came to destroy not the works of his father, but the works of the devil. Yes. Um, So when it comes to sanctification, masculinity, you know, Um, And some of these things, it seems to me that it's clear in Scripture that, sure, there is now no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or Scythian, uh, but we're all one in Christ. But that doesn't, our maleness is part of our sanctification, our femaleness, right? So in the particularities, God is, he's restoring us back to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And as a church, as Christians, we ought to see that you know, that's not, um, that's not incidental. That's, that's it. That's part of what it means to be a, a Christian. Right, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, one of the things that, you know, we had talked a little bit about um, beforehand in terms of, you know, what, what we'd like concluded in this podcast had to do with, uh, you know, certain challenges that men face in, in our circles that we find ourselves in. I think we've, address some of those, but maybe there's something that Mm. that has sort of occurred to someone here that we've not gotten to yet that maybe we want to make sure that we we talk a little bit about. Is there anything that kind of comes up? One thing that I
4: I would just uh, note is that you know, a lot of the most prominent uh, evangelicals are baby boomers. Mm. And although many of them were sort of came of age in the sexual revolution era of the 60s, many of them were alive in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Still, their formative eras, with formative parts of their life when they were marrying, when they were raising family. They were raised in an environment of essentially intact families
0: mm-hmm.
4: where the cultural norms supported that. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you fast forward to today, I know, by the way, many of these pastors, pastors tend to marry very young, very young, they often married, like, the first or second person they ever dated. Mm-hmm. And so then when you fast forward, and then there's a 60-year age gap, and they're trying to minister to people today who are in a very different cultural environment. Where, um, for example, uh, you know, my parents were the first parents. Uh, I'm the child of the first generation, no-fault divorce. So... Um, Indiana passed no-fault divorce, I think, in 1970. California was the first one in sixty nine. Indiana was in seventy very quickly. Wow. I think my parents were divorced probably circa 1974. I was born in 1969.
0: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't and, have thought of that if Indiana yeah. would have thought of it. Even I, think I
4: think it was pretty quickly just yeah. covered the nation.
0: Right.
4: But they were divorced when I was like five, probably. Yeah. But both of their parents were in lifelong marriages. And... Almost everybody around him So, so there was still a, a, an intact social structure. Today, a lot of the people Jordan Peterson are appealing to are people who come from essentially multi generational single motherhood, broken yes. homes. Yes. Um, they're surrounded by a milieu it's predominantly shaped by broken families. And, you know, especially when compared to like my grandparents' generation, my grandparents never once had to consider that they might get divorced. Like, you just didn't have to think about it. Mm, They could have a reflexive security in their marriages that no one today can ever take for granted. And I I do think a lot of men of that generation, they got married, and then it's like, okay, now I can relax. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't Well, like, today, you can't ever relax. Yeah. You know, so, so it's like you're in a place where, you know, in many cases... You know, I grew up in rural southern Indiana. Not only are your parents, like, divorced, it's like the grandmother who's caring for the grandkids is herself, like a single mom, maybe a recovering drug addict. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, essentially the the, the, the the relationship patterns that used to be stereotyped as being in the inner city are now fairly prevalent mm-hmm. throughout American society. Right. And... Um, And and so it's it's just a much more complex and difficult environment than, frankly, many of the kind of thought leader Christians have ever lived in themselves. And again, even the young guy pastors, you know, they, they, they got married at King's College. And then they went to see, you know, went to husbands. it's like, it's a different experience mm-hmm. than how, how do you talk to somebody who's in their thirties and single, you yeah. got married when you were 23. <laughs> so it becomes yeah. one where they just can't relate to what it's that's like good. to try to, what is it like to try to get a date in New York city when you're 40 and single? Yeah. Like yeah. they're struggling to deal with that. Mm-hmm. that that's what I'd say. It's, yeah. it's, it's a struggle. Yeah.
2: I'd probably say, don't date anyone in Manhattan or New York City. <laughs> yeah. No, I was I'm, born and raised in New York City. I, I, I found my wife in seminary, and she's from northern Florida, basically the south, you know? So, right. I, I mean that half kiddingly, but.
4: Well, you know, my I, I live in New York City, and uh, my wife is from Indiana, and so I'm from Indiana. So I, I went back to the old country. That's right. That's right.
2: Good, good for you. You right. know,
4: although I was saying, I think they one of the things that the manosphere. Um, one of the things that the manosphere I think leads to in many respects is not healthy and maybe Jordan Peterson is less this way than a lot of things is a very very nihilistic yes. attitude mm-hmm. right. and there there are some of these you know there's sort of a Christian manosphere the same way and it's a very bitter angry the deck is stacked mm-hmm. against us. Mm-hmm. there's even a group called MGTOW men going yeah. their own way right. it's like the deck is so stacked against you men don't ever get married, don't have anything to do with women. Get out there. One of them wrote a book called Enjoy the Decline. It was, it was like, you know, and, and it was this idea that like women today are terrible. There's yeah, you, know, you mean you hear women complain there's no good men, but you hear a lot of men complain there's no good women. <clears throat> I mean what I would say is maybe my church is the exception. It's in Manhattan. I actually think there are a number of single women in my church who could be high quality potential matches. I think yeah. you can find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I so, but I thing. think you you do need to, you know, not to say you shouldn't have standards or scrutiny, but I think a lot, I think there's there's a certain cynicism we can breed that we should. There's still plenty of good. Although the, the actual world may be poisoned in many ways for right. the indivi- at the individual level it's like you just say, if you're a woman, you could argue that, well, you know, 60% of college degrees, people today are, are are women, only 40% men. 60% of people in church are women, 40% men. Okay, that that's true. There is that stat, but you are one individual. We're not talking about, like, trying to match everybody. We're talking about trying to match you, and there are plenty of quality guys around. You could – if you have to look at, like, the individual pool, right. even in New York City – which I agree is a particularly toxic environment mm-hmm. yeah. for matchmaking. There are plenty of high-quality single people of either sex mm-hmm. that you could find right. if you were intentional about it.
0: Right, yeah, if you're looking in the right place. Yeah, on that, could I
2: ask you maybe, Aaron, moving away from New York City, I mean, you could name names if you want, but, like, where would you go to find a high-quality mate? I mean, what sort of general advice... You know, a guy looking for a gal who's not a feminist, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
4: Well, first, you have to decide, I think that's when you have to decide what your criteria are. Um, you, can, you can look at, there's, there's a lot of websites out there that will tell you where the greatest imbalances are in favor of women versus men. So, for example, New York City has a significant imbalance in sexism. There are many, many more single
0: college-educated women than there are single college-educated men. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that Beach that Boys song. Right. Two girls forever Every get born.
4: Yeah. Right. So it's something <laughs> like that. Whereas if you go if you go to San Francisco Bay Area, the it's Bay Area. the reverse situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so and yes, some of them are gay. You say, well, you yeah, know, the Bay Area has always been like, like gays in San Francisco. There's a lot of gays in New York too. Yeah, but we still have that. So it's like, you know, and, and gays are like three percent of the population. So but the so the rea- but the reality you hear the complaints about that's like not really true, but it is you can look at market markets like that. Yeah. Um I think places where um, marriage and family is more the norm yeah. are places yeah. that you might, want, you might want to think about looking. Yeah. You know, these global cities like New York, like Washington, like San Francisco tend to be heavily dominated by singles. And when people marry and have kids, they often move away. So you have very transient populations, very low, stable populations. And, you know, whereas, you know, in Indianapolis, uh, for example, if you go to the local downtown, like, cool, artsy PCA church, Right. It's mostly married families. Mm. Now, of course, the downside is most people are married there. <laughs> so if you're single, the question is, do you want to go where the single people are or where the married people are? And so it's not it's not really easy thing. What I've observed is that there are essentially two major hookup windows for marriage that, that Christians go through. The first one is essentially in college, mm-hmm. and that people at King's College or in some sort of campus ministry like RUF or whatever whatever it might be on campus, meet someone and they get married shortly after they graduate. If that doesn't happen, then generally I would say your 20s are kind of a desert period and getting into the late 20s to early 30s, twenty-eight to 32 is another major window Mm -hmm. for people to get married. Mm And then if you don't close the deal by 35, you're in the danger zone.
1: <laughs>
4: and that's what I say. I always say this. If someone's 35 and not married, male or female, there's a reason, and it's probably not a good one. Yeah. So you have to think about that. What I'd say is you got to think about those windows. Yeah. And, and the people, The people. I think there's a lot of people who had opportunities in colleges to, like, find someone. So and they said, wow, well, I'm too young. i got to do this. Sure. I've got to do that. And then they thought there would be an opportunity later, yep. and that opportunity didn't come. Yep. So I think we have to look at where the opportunities where the opportunities are. But I, I can say those are the dynamics I deserve. There's no, there's no perfect place. I think almost anywhere that you are, if you're a single person and you have something going on, um, if you're a single man especially, then you are probably going to find some single women that, Fit the bill for you to get married. I mean, I, I don't think there's some magic location, mm-hmm. yeah. but you might want to look at like where the ratios are more favorable.
3: Yeah, I want to. I want to put two thoughts out there. So one is I don't know if this is politically correct or not, but uh, there's a young guy in my life who, lo- uh, who lives in New York City. He's, he's de- you know, he wants to find a wife. He can't find one at, in the church he goes to, uh, which I'll leave out the name of it because uh, we all know what it is. And he uh, ends up. You know, he, he just can't find the girl there. Um, they all are outperforming him financially, so he's, you know, like, not able to compete financially with them, so theoretically, like, he's not gonna be as appealing to them. Um, and, uh, and some of them are just real career-driven. He kinda wants to have a more traditional girl. Um, he's, uh, you know, so he's just feeling really stuck. So a couple of the things that I've been trying to encourage them to think about, like, what if you tried a different church? What if you tried like um, a church of folks that are actually they don't their lives didn't start in the United States, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's many churches uh, in New York City that that I've met the people there. They're wonderful people that are immigrant churches, mm-hmm. um, and there's they're full of young single women. That are not necessarily have the same uh, values that a uh, that a Western woman has, um, and and so I've been putting that idea out there, trying to get them to think more about that. Another thing I've been encouraging them to do. Is look at younger women, um, you know, to he for for whatever reason, he just seems to think that like, he needs to find a girl his age. Yeah. He doesn't need a girl his age. He yeah. can look at a girl that's five years younger than him, you know, and right. and a lot of them are still single and still interested. And then all of a sudden what that does is he's now further ahead in his life, and his career. He's making more money than them and he's sure. and he's more established. And so he's all of a sudden going to be more appealing to them. Yeah. So I don't think he's had any pastors tell him that, but right. but that's right. I think some of the, the gaps that young men need to have filled in, um, right. and we we can we can right. help to. Well, to well some that. of those
4: some of those New York churches are predominantly I mean fifty mean, I mean, to seventy five percent singles. Yeah, and I do think like marital like you say you're the average of your five closest friends. Yeah, and you know, I think Jordan Peterson's even got a rule. Mm-hmm. Right, that's like mm-hmm. sort of encapsulates that, although I don't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that the Bible would even back that up. And so it's very clear, for example, that divorce is contagious. Mm-hmm. When somebody in a social circle gets divorced, mm-hmm. that causes more divorce mm-hmm. within the social circle. So you do have to think about, for example, if you're married and you know, you're, ma- you're a man or a woman and your spouse's friends all start getting divorced you better be like, man, we got to get some new friends. Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I've seen it before. My wife just right. saw this couple that, uh, you know, the, the the wife and the couple, like a lot of, all, many of her friends got divorced and when you know it, now she's getting divorced. Yeah. She said, it coming like a year ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, I think we get into an environment where you're surrounded by mostly single people. Yeah. Then singleness becomes very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, so, so, I think that's, that's one thing. The other thing I say is, uh, you know, Behaviors, male or fe- man, female behaviors are not fixed. So, what somebody is interested in mm-hmm. today yeah. is not necessarily what they're really interested in, <laughs> right. or what they would be interested in tomorrow. Some of it depends on like how you engage with them, yeah. and yeah. like and how they might respond to what you know you were saying. So, I think that ultimately, you know, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily. Take you know what someone's doing. So I think that there there are a lot of I think there are a lot of things like that. But uh, so I don't think you necessarily say, well, I have to go. There's nothing wrong with going. And, and, and I think broadening your mentality to include, for example, people in the immigrant communities, like, is a great thing. Just broadening your pool is a great thing. Right. But not, I don't necessarily think that, uh, uh, you know, this idea that, well, this 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 pool here is poisoned and I, I couldn't quite, mm. you, know, there, you know, there's nobody here that's good. I, I, I don't necessarily think that, necessarily.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. A couple of quick observations. So you've written about hypergamy, yeah. you know, the idea that, mm. you know, generally speaking, even highly educated women want men who are more highly educated than, than themselves or, you know, high career or sort of high earning Women, women, yes, uh, still want a man who's making more than them. Um, yeah, with your friend Nate, I would say you've given him really good advice. You know, you, to, to me, I think a man uh, has an advantage in this respect, in the sense that, hmm. generally speaking, a man has a larger pool to draw from if he's thinking the right way, hmm. and you've pointed in that direction, in the right. sense that. You know, uh, hypergamy, as far as I can tell, is not something that applies to men as much, mm-hmm. unless they're something. <laughs> but but uh, I think, uh, too, and one other thing I think just sort of, you know, for your consideration, I do think that a lot of young women in Western culture are being carried along by popular culture mm-hmm. and, and sort of what they've been told to think. Um, sort of like the secular sort of uh, mirror of what we were talking about earlier with, with young pastors who are just sort of repeating everything they've heard in divinity school when they're right. asked for advice. So a lot of the, I, I think, uh, some, some women, and I've seen this happen in my church and among young men as they've courted women or pursued women, women who have initially, you know, mm-hmm. made a case for, I want a career or whatever, who have, second, who have paused and thought about it again mm-hmm. and said, you know, maybe that's not really what I want. Maybe I really want a life with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, And suddenly everything is different. And they become the human mm-hmm. that you think that you have to go someplace else for. Now, I'm not saying that yeah, sure. go, going someplace else is a bad thing. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to imply that. But uh, I do think maybe sometimes we need to challenge uh, the thinking of people that that we consider potential yeah, mates. Right, right. and say, so, if you really thought this thing through, really? I know a lot of women yeah. who are in their 50s and they've got no kids, but they've got 10 cats. Is yeah. that And, they, and yeah. they live in a really nice house and they drive a really nice car. Right. Is that what you really want? Right. <laughs> you know, sure. you're on the track to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one of the things that,
4: that happens, we're all in these life scripts. And I think one of the, the, the life scripts that we have is that you should be highly intentional about education highly intentional and focused on your career, highly intentional and focused on your personal recreational pursuits or personal passions, but to somehow, like, finding a spouse is just going to happen.
0: You know? <laughs> yep. That's so good. That's so and good. <laughs> so,
4: it's like the idea, like, imagine if we put as much effort into yeah, right. finding our wives our as we put into getting into the college that we want or to getting into mm-hmm. the, the firm that we wanted. And I think we get on that track and all of a sudden we discover that, oh, wait a minute, that didn't occur. It didn't happen. But we're we're sort of like, so the script is like, okay, I went to college, I got my career, I'm now developing myself professionally, personally, I'm traveling, I'm experiencing the world. Now around age 30, I'm thinking I'm going to get married. Oh, wait a minute, there's nobody around. Hmm. And then it's like, okay, what do I do? And so I think this is true, you know, this is true of men and women, is like, you know, what they're doing is not necessarily, when, especially once people hit 30, what they're doing is not necessarily, it's not that they, they hate it, but like they're doing it because that's what else they're gonna do. Right. It's like saying, okay, I would love to be married and have kids, but like, okay, great, I'm, there's nobody in my life, and what am I gonna do? Like quit my job and do nothing? Like that doesn't work. Right. And so I, I think that ultimately, um, you, you know, ultimately, because someone is like pursuing or the default is going to be pursue your career yeah. at 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 top speed right. if you don't if there's if there's no other things around. So yeah. you know, and, and so so for example, my wife, you know, she worked for the, the governor of the state of Indiana, the governor's wife of the state of Indiana, she worked in city government, she's ran multiple nonprofits as executive director, highly accomplished professional, very intelligent, about all these things, and You know, but you know, definitely marriage was something that she wanted and why you know and why was she monolithically focused on her career? There was no there was no guy in the picture. You know, once a guy came into the picture, then she's like, Okay, how does that potentially change or make me incorporate that into everything else that I'm doing? So I think that in some of these cases a lot of people are just just going on on the default path because they don't know how to get off of it, mm-hmm. and there's nothing around for them to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a uh, you know there's a I think a lot of people there's this uh, stigma, particularly put this put on women, that you shouldn't be too eager for you know a husband and family. You shouldn't be too eager to be married. And um yeah. And so I think a lot of times they just want to downplay it. It almost seems like you're being a, tra- a traitor yeah. to, to your thing. And, like, you know, you know, one of the people, and not in the conservative mold, but one of the people that I, I really give credit to for being different than that is Caitlin Beatty, the former managing editor of Christianity Today. She wrote this book, A Woman's Place. She's very supportive of, you know, women's careers and all these things. And so well, what I admire about her is she's like, You know, I think women should have these careers and develop these things. I'm doing that. I'm not preaching something that I'm not. But she's also very clear that hey, I do desire to be married and have kids. And so she's being very open about something that she's like, I don't know if it's going to happen.
0: So she's not married.
4: She's not married. But but she's well. You know, I got to say this: a lot of people would hide their desire to be married Mm -hmm. because there's there's a lot of guys out. You know, there's a lot of manosphere guys, for example, that would love to like. Mm-hmm. you know, make fun of her if she didn't end up getting married. And like that's sure. what I feel like, which is like, so to actually, to be vulnerable, to put yourself out and acknowledge these desires that you have, mm-hmm. not to the exclusion of having your career, I think is is an admirable thing that is rarely, well, rarely okay. done because people don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to admit that we want something that we might not get. Well, and especially, I, and I think especially there's a stigma on women around that.
0: Well, let me reflect a little bit on that because I actually wrote a blog... Piece on this very theme years ago about yeah. about women and uh, and giving some advice on how to how to find a traditional man and one of the things that I did in it was I said well one of the problems that you girls have is that you're sending mis- mixed messages on the one hand you say you want to get married on the other hand everything you do says you have no space in your life for a man mm-hmm. so what I did is one of the pieces of advice I get is I gave is learn to drop the hanky. You know the old, the old sort of practice. You know, when a a woman wanted to, uh, you know, send or sort of interact with a man that she found interesting or attractive or whatever, she would drop her hanky back in the day. This is like Edwardian Victorian (laughs) practice, right? So, and then that would give the guy an opportunity to say, "Oh, you dropped this," right? Mm -hmm. So, what she's doing, she's creating a space in her life for the guy to meet a need. Now, everybody needs to be needed and when, many feminists are sending the message every day I don't need you mm-hmm. and then they're surprised when no one says would you go out with me right because right. you've set you basically have said the message I don't need you and so like well okay what am I you know there, I have no place in your life mm-hmm. you know why should I why should I venture now so this woman said, says she wants to be married but my my question is is her nonverbal you know, be, you know sort of message exactly the opposite. Is there any space in her life? So, yes, vulnerable in the sense that I've admitted I've got a need, but vulnerable in the sense of really needing somebody. I don't know.
4: But, well, you know, by my wife my wife certainly, you know, you know, I say it. people I don't know personally I can't comment on, but you know, my wife was supposed to again, you know, very focused on her career and then, you know, I came along and, uh, you know, I I didn't wait for her to display interest. I think that's one thing. You don't have to necessarily, you know, wait. You can, like, just ask somebody something. You have to respect what they say as an answer. But you can initiate. I think realistically you're right. Most men are not going to approach a woman and ask her out on a date unless they have some indication that they think that is going to be well-received so it can certainly behoove you to you know there's certainly things you can do to indicate send off signals that you might welcome that so there's things you can do but I think ultimately right you you know it's good I think the proof is going to be how does she how does she respond to uh, you know some guy and some guy asks her out because I think there is this idea right there's this idea that well you know if, if women want the alpha male but like I'm not going to do anything unless she drops the hanky then obviously you're waiting for her to, to initiate yeah, yeah. you have to have like you got to be able to initiate without her like initiating so I think so, that's that's one thing I would say
1: so I yeah. want to circle some of these things back around one of the issues is one of the main issues is with the men here so in some ways, you're saying a lot of women are like open to this, but they're just running the default path. And so if the men aren't a attractive enough, the Christian men aren't attractive enough, uh, and b they're not the the men aren't engaging effectively here with the women. Uh, aren't the women just going to keep running the uh, the standard track, which looking at the American culture right now is below replacement fertility. <laughs> Very late marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, I resemble that. High rate of divorce. (laughs) Well, I mean, you you have a wonderful story, but I mean, let's think about the eighteen year olds and the twenty year olds and so on, right? right? Like, what's what kind of roadmap are they seeing for themselves? And I and I've been sobered a little bit and thinking about like the college student population. um, You know, the 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 male female breakdown, the ratio there, all the statistics on the men dropping out of the workforce, uh, not men having more social problems when they're young. uh, Pretty sobering stuff. Uh, it seems like it's going to be difficult to create long-term cultural flourishing without bringing these men from a, a rough situation to a much healthier one. And if, they're, if they need to play the initiator role uh, and, and be the kind of people who can do that, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like we need to focus a lot of energy there, even more than with the women. Yeah. I uh, will know. Yeah, for so example. Yeah. All that to say, that's says why I admire what you're doing. Well, with the I, I, you most. know, I
4: don't. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to like make excuses for all the of American women, But ultimately, what you, what you can control is yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, and that, I think that's one of the messages that Peterson had. Right? It's like mm-hmm. we can wait for like people to change their ways, or we can change our ways. Mm-hmm. And so I right. think that's one that I think we do have to. We do have to. Um, to think about what we can do, what can we do mm-hmm. And you know partially we have to upgrade we have to upgrade our product. I do think in terms yeah. of hypergamy right women want to marry up or at least not marry down mm-hmm. right, right. which I think is, is, is knowledge by yeah, right? it, it, so it makes a, a lot of sense so lot right of If you want to have right. access to a greater like potential pool of women then you have to be a higher level guy right. and, and yeah. you know? Um, so, money is one component of this I, I would argue it's not even the most component yeah. important component but it's certainly a, a component and so yeah. when you think about like we have to have we have to be the product we have to be the catch mm-hmm. yeah. we have to make ourselves the catch yeah. and then we have to, yeah. to think of ourselves that way yeah. you know yeah. first you have to you have to work to become the desirable person and then you really are if you think about that when you do look at those statistics around 60 40 split around college degrees 60 40 split in the church, if you're a single guy, Right, who's got something going on and is working to be a high. Ca- you, you are a hot commodity. Right, yeah, you are. You should, you should be aware of your value yeah, in the marketplace. Right, yeah. I mean, I oh, would just say and this: well,
0: one of the problems, yeah. though, is, is that uh, you know, a lot of pastors will undermine that mm-hmm. that sense of confidence. Right, yep. you know. Yeah. Oh, you're getting proud there, but right. yeah, I want, to you to be, you know, want you to be humble. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go ahead. Can I,
3: yeah. Well, I, so I deal with I would deal with men in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Right. Mm-hmm. And and um. And I teach a class called Fatherhood and Manhood. And so I'm teaching, you know, to, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And about three or four months ago, it, it dawned on me, I should probably put the brakes on just a little bit as I'm telling these guys, get out there, get a wife, be reproductive, you know, like fill the earth, right? And, and part of what has slowed me down is seeing guys relapse. Mm. Um, and what's made me really concerned is seeing these guys um, get into relationships with girls that relapse, and all of a sudden, that relationship is a disaster. Mm. Um, and, and so what I've begun to do is to encourage guys, okay, you're early in recovery from drugs and alcohol. I'm going to still teach what I teach about biblical manhood, but at the same time, I'm going to encourage these men to wait three to five years at least of having sobriety behind them, or we're getting solid uh, momentum behind them, and and then as they are growing confident in their, um, you know, their sobriety, so to speak, their um, their victory, their liberation from this um, disaster that they, this plague that they've been living in. Um, then they 're actually all of a sudden going to become a, more appealing to these other, to the women and the type of women that they would want to marry because if you 're early in recovery from drugs and alcohol, right. guess what kind of women you 're going to want to date right. or, or are going to want to date you women that are struggling with the same stuff right well that 's that you bring a child into that situation, guess where that child's going right, right. into the hands of the state. Right. And, um, and so just kind of on a practical level, I think you know one thing is, is like if you want to get married, you're a young man, maybe you know hurry up and slow down, and just to affirm what you're saying, Aaron, like become the, the desirable mate that is going to appeal to that kind of woman that you want to marry. Um, and so it, it, it applies across the board. Yeah, I like
4: well, your I like your three to five year thing on, right. on that. And I, I'm not really that familiar with the you, you know the addiction recovery from a drug perspective, mm-hmm. but I can say for myself, you know, I was like a screwed up person, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways, and, and had done a lot of bad things. I mean, and essentially, you know, I look at it like I married you know, I, I can say I had been saying you know, essentially clean, if you will, for like five years. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, mm-hmm. okay, for five years, mm-hmm. I can start thinking that, okay, you now are like not in you know, imminent danger of relapsing and into, right, right, into, into, right. into X, Y, and Z. And so I think focusing on you know, getting I mean like just forget getting married. Right. Getting out of sinful instructive destructive practices right. is yes. like, like a like a huge yeah, a yeah. huge thing yourself. And so many guys are mired in that. And again it's very tempting for a lot of people to wanna to, uh, complain about oh, you know, women this women that you know whereas I do think there is I think that it's very clear the church is loves to bash men and won't hold women accountable for anything. Well, I mean, basically, true. so that that's true. I mean, I, I would I would endorse that. I mean, yeah, you yeah, can, totally. but yeah, I will say that doesn't mean you know that doesn't mean that like men don't need to like take care of themselves. And I think a lot sure. of and there are a lot of guys that are kind of passive in that. So we we have to think about we need to think that about ourselves. Thanks. And um, it's certainly frustrating when you see some pastor that struts around and like. You know, the guys like Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler, who just rip on men. Yeah, right. even in the sermons that are supposedly about women's sins, they're like <laughs> praying imprecatory prayers about them. Right. You know, they're they're crying for the mountains to fall on them, but the mountain—it's like all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while they're making ridiculous excuses, so I, I get it, but ultimately. It, it, you know, we, we do have to think, we do have to realize like a
0: lot of us have things to do. So I think that's important. Yeah. You know, sort of t- tie, tying in in sort of a strange way, this, this sort of mixture of vulnerability and hmm. confidence, kind of getting back to that. Yeah. I think that, you know, the the, the, the obviously, the moral matter of, 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 you know, the fruits of the spirit, exercising self-control, mm-hmm. having your act together, that's a baseline. Yeah, right. And then you get into, okay, how do I become attractive? Right. And one of one of the paradoxes that I that I saw early in uh, my my teen years is I, I had a friend who was the living ex- uh, sort of Ferris Bueller. He was like the guy that I think that they based the character Ferris Bueller on. <laughs> if you remember the Ferris Bueller film, yeah. I mean Ferris was what was this guy that just everything went for him, mm. and this was this is the guy. He went through girls like, at an unbelievable rate. He just he was just like he was this. Got what What Roosh wished he were right. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him one day I said what is your secret man what, what, what is it he said strength he had it thought out this guy was like 17 and he had a philosophy all thought out he understood girls better than girls understood themselves yeah. he said strength with a hint of weakness that's the secret I got the strength part I get that you know so you know you know you're, you're you're a guy that exudes confidence you know you got your I understand why this trying what, what's the weakness thing about a woman needs to find a place in your life in other words if you're all if you're acting yeah, completely sure. together yep. There's no place for her. Yeah, that's right. There's no place for her to be in your life as a help. Right. Now, this kind of gets to the point I was making earlier about women who are pursuing the career thing and sending the message that they've got no room in their life for a man. Well, are they surprised, or should they be surprised, Mm -hmm. that there are no guys asking? Now, now maybe if you're George Clooney... You ask the supermodel out, or maybe if you're Tom Brady, you ask sure. the supermodel out. Mm-hmm. But if everything you everything you say in your actions is "I don't need man, a man," <laughs> I don't need a man, yeah. you know, right. yeah. then then why sh- are you surprised that no guy has right. said anything to you about going out on a date? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, but this is the kind of advice that, I, in fact, that, that piece that I did on women and dropping the hanky, I got uh, mail from across the country from women mm-hmm. saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh No, it, this never occurred to me. Yeah, no <laughs> Never occurred to me that, that I ought to sort of somehow um, make it easy for a guy to get to know me. Yeah. Now, of course, you, you don't do that indiscriminately. That's sure. a bad formula. You know, but you can. So you got to time the hanky, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, in the, right. and the presence of the guy you're interested in that That's kind of thing. Right. But right. I, but I, but getting back to this other other thing, you know, in terms of confidence, this is the this is the the paradox. And, but it's really not a paradox because we're talking about a relationship. So we're not just looking for admirers. We're looking for people who can help us. Mm-hmm and feel like we've got a place in our lives. Mm-hmm. So my wife has a place in my life. There are things that she does for me that I appreciate. I've got a place in her life, hopefully, <laughs> that, that, and she does. She's very appreciative. But anyway, those are just some thoughts. Right, one, thing, one thing
4: I would just, and just to bring this back to Jordan Peterson, yeah. this, this is where I think Jordan Peterson gets it right in a way that the pastors are failing. If you look at Jordan Peterson's message, his message is essentially for men to take responsibility for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Clean your room. You know, put your house in perfect order before you do somebody right. else's. It's almost like take the log out of your eye. He cribbed half the stuff in the Bible. That's right. That's I think. Right. But the difference between yeah. Jordan Peterson and I think way too many pastors. A lot of these pastors, you know, modeled themselves in like the drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. it's like you, you know but what they what they forgot is the drill sergeant is going to tear you down but he also builds you up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jordan Peterson is like helping you get there yeah. and he's got he feels empathy for you and yes he so. wants yeah. you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what the takeaway that I have from many of these pastors is that it's it's sort of like you know you're sort of like trying to create a little works righteousness and you could never save yourself no. they they're going to keep you in a perpetual state of being beat down wow. when yeah. do they ever when do they ever build up men or help them get better right. That's right. and that's where i feel like a lot of this negativity towards the men, the men and my own negativity yeah. comes in because again the marine corps is very tough and they call them, but, but they, they're they like, we can, you can get there. We will get you there. We will honor you when you get there. That's right. And the church seems to do nothing but pile dishonor upon dishonor yeah. upon dishonor among men. And I think it becomes then very tempting to say, well, I shouldn't have to, you know, I think you throw it all out. But the fact is, you do have to take responsibility for yeah, yourself. Right. But the question is, like, how do people come alongside and actually help you get there yeah. Yeah. and, like, honor you when you do? That's what Jordan <laughs> Peterson does. Yeah. That the that the church does not do, and um, right. and the the other thing that Jordan uh, Peterson does is like on the Channel Four interview when he is confronted by a woman who's throwing these things at him and he's not in the wrong, he holds his ground. Right. He doesn't just assume. I, I think that what what the church gets wrong is it just assumes. It does tend to assume essentially every female complaint is valid, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you, you know, and, and so I feel like there's there's some things I, I think it's worth asking, it's worth comparing and contrasting. What is Jordan Peterson? What are these guys doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and that those those conflicts, by the way, those conflicts that guys, all these online guys like Peterson, mm-hmm. they manufacture conflict so that one conflict generates attention for them. Secondly. They generate conflict so that they can demonstrate their behavior in the conflict. Mm-hmm. That's why guys like yeah. Ben Shapiro, all of them, they're all big generators of conflict. Yeah. And so I, I think it's very worth studying Jordan Peterson and what he's done, yeah. and that go, I think that will give a great sense uh, of that. And uh, yeah. what, what I think about, what I, what I like about him, although, again, I think he's very banal and he's actually, I don't think he has that much insight to offer, mm-hmm. is that he he like found a way to inspire people to want to be better yeah which is something that the, the average pastor just has a way of making men feel perpetually bad about themselves well just to go along the promise keeper mentality right
3: well so he like he's not the drill sergeant going off of what you're saying Like he he seems to show incredible um, tenderness toward the crowds of people that are coming to talk to him and greet him at the end of his talk. Um, You know, he he wants to look them in the eyes and and hear them as individuals and get to know them. Um, The same guy that I was talking about earlier, he told me the other day he had a pastor come to a small group. He had been at the church for three years, it was the first pastor from the church he had ever met. Wow. Hmm. and 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 then you hear you have a guy like Jordan Peterson who t- is taking the time to like look at guys in the eyes and and hear their story and and you know and and cares deeply for them you know what i see in peterson and everybody says this is a father and he's a father to a fatherless generation and you know more and more that just rings so true to me that the men that i'm involved with my calling is to be you know a brother father to them and um, especially to the younger ones a father and and what that in many ways more and more looks like is the straight talk right, right. But, it, but at the same time I'm rooting for them and I'm right. and I have this tender love for them as I'm trying to encourage them up I'm honest straightforward you know call them out on their bs but at the same time it's not um the drill sergeant um, coming down super, super hard on them. Um, but and not some something that yeah. Peterson does. There's an old saying in these,
4: uh, you know, I don't know who originated it, but it's like it's used in sales and like, you know, motivation. It's like, until you meet someone mm. where they are, you have no right to lead them anywhere else. Mm. And so this idea, I think that's where like... Mm this idea that you have to sort of emotionally, personally synchronize with someone where they are mm-hmm. before you can help take them right. to a the better yeah. place. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that yeah. that's, I think it's something, I mean, the church, the church, when you see the fact that, you know, essentially 40%, only 40% of the church attendees are men, and you see that there's all these men's gurus out there, and I put tons of them, like Ben Shapiro, he's a part of a political guy, Joe Rogan, Jordan mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Jordan Peterson, Steve tons to of Pickup artists and, you know, tons of You can even think of a guy like Tony Robbins yeah, right. in, that, in that saying, why are all these guys drawing hordes of people, right? right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're superior salespeople in some respects, but, you know, at the end of the day, like the fact that the church hasn't cracked the code on this and most men's ministries have been abysmal failures mm-hmm. is just something I think there hasn't been any taking stock of that and somebody needs to take stock of that. And get in
0: the game. Get in the game. Well, we should probably draw things to a conclusion here, but I'd like to kind of go around the, 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 the circle here just one last time, give everybody a chance to say anything maybe they want to say before we wrap up. Uh, uh, any thoughts, uh, David? No? Sam? The question to Aaron, mm-hmm. do we need a
2: Christian Jordan Peterson? <laughs> no.
4: I think we need a Christian Jordan Peterson like we need a hole in the head. Uh, this idea of celebrity culture is not a healthy thing. Christianity is already too dominated by a celebrity culture. The idea that you could be at a church for three years and not be the pastor. What, what I, I think that the, one of the great lines of the Bible, maybe in like uh, is it 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul saying, you know what manner of men will yeah. prove to be a right, right Paul appeals to his character when he says like, hey, if you're trying to determine who I am, look at the character I demonstrated. And if your church gets so big that the people in it can't say, can't say that about their pastor, then I think that gets in a situation. This idea that some remote celebrity and, you know, I can't prove anything, but I would just say, I don't think we know the entire story about how Jordan Peterson became popular. I think sure. if you look behind any of these celebrities, there's always an there's the official origin story, the official myth, the creation myth. It's like a lot of startups. There's the creation myth, but there's an untold yeah. story of that. And so I think that the celebrity is, is honestly it's not healthy. What we need instead of a Christian Jordan Peterson, we need rank and file pastors in right, right. Ordinary sized churches who are equipped yeah. to help men—that's what we need more
3: of. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Nate? Well, just to keep going with that is, um, you know, Sam's teaching through the proverbs. I'm teaching through the proverbs right now. So the Bible's full of a lot of the wisdom that Jordan Peterson's putting out there, right? Um, and uh, and so. I feel invigorated more and more as I'm investing in the lives of the men that I work with to just give them the, the wisdom that they never got from their dad. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm encouraging them. Read John because you'll learn about who God is. Read you know, um, the Psalms because you'll learn how to pray. And read the Proverbs because it, the Proverbs teaches you everything your father should have taught you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so, what do we need? I think we, like what you're saying, we need Christian pastors to just give all these ancient truths that we have right in the Bible to these men that are desperate
0: for them. Aaron, you have anything you want to wrap up with?
3: Wow. I
4: love what. Paul also said in Acts, "I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God, That's right. not an exquisitely curated selection of God's counsels, guaranteed to appeal to the hip, erudite, urban audience, mm-hmm. or whomever you're, yeah. you're trying to reach." Yeah. And I think that that should be the the aspiration of every pastor. It's like I'm going to give you the the totality of that. If we yeah. just if we just do that, uh, you know, you know, that would be important. You know, I'm not a pastor. Uh, but that's what I would like to have. That's what I, that's what I aspire for my pastor, and I have a great pastor. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's what he aspires to give to us. I just think we have, we should we should have. That's what we should be at more of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, uh, it's been great to be with you. Thanks for joining us for this podcast, and uh, I hope, and I know the rest of us hope that uh, you got something out of it that you'll find useful for your life. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.